Directions. I'm Ashley Griffin, your theatrical Hermione Granger, and today I'm very honored to be doing a live Zoom interview with the incredible Broadway actress Meredith Patterson. Thank you, amazing Meredith Patterson, for joining me and for having a conversation with me and being a part of this. Um, so, yeah, I'll, I'm sure all of your information and stuff will be up, but tell us a little bit about who you are and what you do for those who may not know. Oh my gosh, what do I do, Ashley? <laughs> Thank well, you Elsa, you're an amazing Broadway performer who's done incredible, incredible work. Um, and you're a mom and you have a whole, you, 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 have, a, you have a wellness um, company I'm too? I'm certified in holistic health, yeah. I, mm -hmm. I have a lot of sides to me, I think. Yeah. <laughs> That's the best way to put it. But thank you for having me um, on this of podcast episode. I yeah. love that, well, we're, that we're recording it on Zoom as well. Um, <laughs> We've gotten very familiar on Zoom. Was we're also currently working on a show. My, my play Snow is going up, and um, we're both in it, which is wonderful and such a dream for me to get to work with you. But we've gotten very familiar with Zoom very quickly. <laughs> as we yes, exactly as we all have during this pandemic. So yeah, I guess I I just have you honestly in the past. What has it been six months since everything? Yeah, hit, yeah. have given me more. Um, you know, creative things to do. And I'm so appreciative of you, which is so funny because we've actually never been in, well, not never, but it, it, right. in the same room because we I know doing my podcast over the phone yeah. and yeah. then, you know, and then, and then your other uh, incredible musical that we're working on. Um, yeah. We, we did a, a zoom presentation yeah. for, and then now we're back on zoom doing snow, which is this I know. incredible play that you've written. Thank you. Well, thank you for being a part of stuff because I've been a huge fan of yours for forever. And I was so honored to be on your podcast and you were so generous and were like, you know, let me know if you need something. I, I, I remember when um, the reading for my musical came up, I was like, maybe I'll try taking her up on that and just see. And you, you're incredible. And now we're doing like all the things and I'm so, I'm so honored well, to have you. I mean, and you're welcome because I, I really do, you know, it's one of the things that I love about this business is the networking aspect, meaning yeah. good people want to work with good people. And so yeah. it really is a, a, a word of mouth network. And mm. I feel like the more, I don't know, like the more good people that want to want to work with good people we, and we, we take them up on the offer. Like I, I'm a, yeah. true to my word. I, I'm not always like, let's do lunch, <laughs> you know? It's yeah, like LA it's thing. a very LA thing. Yeah, LA, yes. But yeah. I really, I really, truly am the person who, you know, wants to be um, introduced to incredible people in this business and get a chance to work with new people. And I honestly don't even remember who introduced me to you or asked, you know, if you could do the podcast or you, you had reached out yeah. to me. However it all happened, I was yeah. like, I read about you. And I was like, she's amazing. Oh my she gosh, a one you. woman Hamlet? What the hell? Well, well, I played him. I wasn't one woman. Maybe some of them that crazy, but yeah. Okay, because this is, now I just, I completely revealed how, how ignorant I am of Shakespeare. But what I mean is that you, you wrote it or you adapted it for yourself and you started it. 
I do. I directed it and I performed yes. in it and it was yes. a gender reversal thing. Yeah. Yes. Yeah. Which someday, which I'm in talks for, to bring it back to. So that's something at some point that we should chat about yes. as well. Yes. But I guess if anything positive has come out of this whole virtual thing, it's that it gives us an opportunity to work with people that we might not normally. Cause you know, I'm primarily, I'm based in New York and right now you're based in LA and to do a show together is something that wouldn't necessarily have been have easily happened. And because yeah. of the whole virtual thing, we've now been able to do stuff it's together. A good, yeah, it's a good side of all of that. Yeah. It's, it's the ability to, um, to do things virtually, even yeah. though as I was, I was saying, it's very strange to be working on this play with you and be yeah. doing scenes together and not being able to be in the same room and right. act off of, uh, you know, I'm yeah. looking, right now I'm looking at a, at a dot on my computer. Yeah, me too. You know? And, and I, you know, it's like when we're performing it, that's what we're, it, it is, a, it is a film and television medium. Mm -hmm. So you, as I was saying in one of the rehearsals, I said, it feels like I'm, I'm playing opposite an actor who doesn't want to do coverage with me. <laughs> right. Yeah, you know, exactly. There are, some, there are yeah. some actors who just want to go to the trailer and they don't want to, you know, when it's time for your yeah. work to be done, when they flip the camera around, they don't yeah. want to be there for you. So you're like staring at a dot. So it's yeah. kind of, it reminds me a lot of that, but yeah. aside from that, it still is some kind of connection. And I know right. that, um, I didn't even answer your first question, Ashley, about about what I what I do. I'm no, just you're good. Well, but. let's let's go back because I really want to hear your Peggy Sawyer story, especially because yeah. that was going on during 9/11, which was yeah. obviously a, a, a different thing to this, but it was similar in the sense that it was this horrible tragedy that happened that literally shut down Broadway, albeit for a much shorter amount of time, but. Tell me about your Peggy, because I saw you as Peggy Sawyer and you were amazing. And that's when I first became a fan of yours. But tell me your story about, about how that came about and then what it was like to do that against that backdrop. Oh, yeah. Well, thank you. Um, yeah. I, I honestly, it's funny because people, people have of, often now looking back 19 years later, it's, it'll be 20 years oh next gosh. year, um, wow. that... Peggy Sawyer was like the beginning of my career. And what's mm -hmm. funny is that I had done some pretty epic, I did an, an, a really epic musical at the Paper Mill Playhouse called Follies, which yeah. was, uh, Stephen Sondheim worked on it with us. And it was Ann Miller and uh, Kay Ballard and Lilia Montebecchi and all these incredible, um, huge legends. And I was only 21 at the time. And I had, I had it taken me, after I moved to New York at 18, it took me, eight years to get my first Broadway show and, you know, nine years to get my first Broadway musical. So my first Broadway what, show. Was what was your first Broadway show? It was a play called The Green Bird, which was Commedia dell'arte. Oh, right. Yes. And it was Julie Taymor's show, her, her show after The Lion King. So everybody thought it was a, you know, surefire hit. We were at the Court Theater, which was a little, you know, north of Broadway, still Broadway. But yeah. um, an incredible 100-year-old theater. I mean, I, I cried when I stepped on stage the first time. But it, it was not a hit. We lasted seven weeks. And, and then 42nd Street happened, which was the biggest hit of that season. It was, you know, we won the Best Revival Tony Award. And 
Um, I'm actually writing a book about my experience with that. Well, that's show. awesome. Yeah, that's I well awesome. because it'll be 20 years next year. I, wow. you know, it's one of those things I do in this industry where I, I I talk about in my you know ramblings with myself. What would I you know if I don't do this, will I regret it? And I've always wanted to write down my experience as Peggy or becoming Peggy and 9-11 and 42nd Street, just the amazingness of that whole experience of my first Broadway musical. Yeah. But I basically got my first Broadway musical, I was in the chorus, uh, understudying Peggy mm -hmm. and understudying the starring role, which was this huge $11 million musical on 42nd Street. You know, I was 26 at the time. It was an amazing experience. And three months into the run, uh, we opened in May, three months into the run. I took over uh, August 18th, 2001. Wow. I took over Peggy Sawyer. And I remember falling wow. off the ground crying. I was so excited and so scared, but so elated. Yeah. I was starring in my first Broadway musical, my Broadway musical debut. I took over the leading role. Nothing wow. could have, you know, uh, I thought nothing could have gotten in the way of that. Um, yeah. That joy. And then 9-11 hit and it was uh, earth shattering as it was to everybody. And it happened on a Tuesday. We went back to the show on Thursday. And I remember them telling us we have to get back. You know, they shut yeah. down Broadway, but it was it never happened before. No one had ever shut down Broadway before. Yeah. And we all were, we didn't want to go back. I remember us saying like, who are we to get in tap shoes and sequins when there's people downtown who at the time we thought were stuck under the buildings. We thought that there was. Oh something. gosh. And we just felt so uh, uneasy about even being in Times Square because there was also threats going on to Times Square. Yeah. But I've never experienced the kind of unity mm. that happened with not only Broadway, but that city. And then of course the country. Yeah. Um, we, every half hour we would meet that Thursday, especially we, we decided to meet in the middle of Times Square and there was no one there. It was mm -hmm. pretty dead. Um, we found out that we were going to be performing for, um, they papered the house, which, you know, papered the house yeah. where they, yeah. they, they give away tickets and we were going to be performing for rescue workers, nurses, oh, firefighters wow. and their wives and people who were just in need of an escape. Yeah. Of course, we were the show that was tap dancing and sequence and the escape. And I, yeah. and Peggy, was like the beacon of hope. Yeah. And I was just in tears thinking, how am I going to hold it together to be this beacon of hope for everybody? Yeah. We met in the middle, all of us on Broadway at, at half hour. We all, like right before wow. half hour, got candles and met in the middle of Times Square and oh literally gosh. prayed. Like that's amazing. We all just got together and said, have a good show. We all walked off to our theaters. And at the end of that show, we all sang God bless America to the audience. Oh, the whole audience sang. the moment. The, I mean, it gives me chills thinking about it. The moment the overture started, we all were just bawling, crying mm -hmm. and tap dancing at the same time. Yeah. And it was a feeling of, you know, we knew, um, we knew we had to lift everybody up. We knew that's what we had to do. We knew that was what our job was. And yeah. I knew 
as Peggy that I was holding that show up along with the amazing Christine Ebersole and um, mm -hmm. Michael Cumsey was Julian Marsh. And we, it, it, it was an amazing experience that first show. And then yeah. the next shows after that. And the knowing that my job was to take people away, it changed my entire perspective about what I do. Yeah. It made me absolutely think that I was doing a USO show. Mm -hmm. what I'm, I'm supposed to take people away from the, um, the sadness of their day. And I feel like we still, that's, that's what we do. And we still should be doing that, whether on zoom or whatever we can do. In yeah. Time, right. So, I think that's a very, very short, yeah. what happened, but more to come. Wow. Comes out. Well, no, please do. You need to write that book. Um, it's, it's interesting to me because I was, <laughs> I was a little school kid when 9-11 happened and, but what, what, I don't know what, what I was thinking about, which, I mean, I wasn't an adult in the workforce when it happened, but the difference seems to be that when 9-11 happened, it felt like as horrific as it was that we as a country unified and became a community of support and it feels like what's going on now is doing the opposite of it. It's, it's, we're all very divided and there's a lot of fear. I mean, just, just basic things like, you know, we, we can't be in a room together. You know, it's, it's not safe for us to be in close proximity, certainly without masks. Um, the country is very divided in how people think and feel. And it, it feels like nothing was good about 9-11, but at least we all kind of, together as a community and everything about what's going on now I feel like is is pushing community away and I think yeah. that that's, that's I, I, I think and having experienced both um you know being in the workforce and feeling that feeling of unity in nine you know during 9-11 we knew we knew that you know we were attacked we knew that there was a an, an enemy um yeah you know, we knew that, that uh, all of that was not, there was no question about it. And so I, so we, and we knew that we needed each other. And I feel like now we don't even really even admit that it, there is um, a quote unquote virus or a, right. a, an enemy in the same way. And we are, it is very polarizing what's happening and the way that people are divided. And I really do think that there is something to be said where there wasn't social media at the time when 9-11 happened. Um, and now there's just this, this huge platform of people to have opinions and non-truth, you know, non-truths, fake news, yeah. whatever you want to call it. It's much easier to spread those conspiracy theories mm -hmm. um, of what exactly is happening right now. And what I think is we need to unify like we did yeah. because that was what saved us really it saved us um mentally because we were just horrified and and you know had extreme ptsd and still do there's still so much of that 20 years later and yeah this is you know this is going to be a pandemic and, and a, a time in our our lives that we don't even really know the ramifications entirely of, of you know, what is going to happen economically, yeah. mentally, all of it. And it's, yeah. it's, it is scary. And it is a time where I wish there was more connection. Yeah. I wish there was more, um, 
positivity and people really having just a a unified want to get rid of Mm -hmm. this virus and get back to a new normal because we're not, I don't know that we're going to get back to whatever normal was, but no. And it's also, <laughs> yeah, well, and it feels like every day, it feels like every day is something new. It's not like the one thing that we're dealing with, but I mean, we joke about like, it's the apocalypse and every morning we wake up and it's like, oh, well, you know, what's the next thing we're dealing with? But every morning I feel like I wake up to some new horrible thing that's going on that. No. And it's very hard, especially, I mean, here in California, we're dealing with fires. Yeah. There's, you know, hurricanes yeah. happening there. It, it, you know, the climate change stuff. And that's also something that we're all divided about. Nobody, really yeah. that that's real. And I'm like, it's in front of our faces. It's not even yeah. a question. And it's when so, we need the arts more than ever. You yes. know, we, cause we, we really do. I was, when all this stuff first started happening, I started, I started watching old Haley Mills movies because oh. I just, I, I felt like I needed to watch something that gave me some sort of hope in like the inherent goodness of humanity. No, you're so right. It's so yeah. true. And, I feel like yeah. in, in, in war times, you know, back in the back in the thirties and forties or when yeah. and all the movie musicals came out, that was what people they, they didn't want um anything too heavy. They didn't want they wanted bills. Yeah. They wanted like the old Hollywood kind of stuff, which, you know, I mean that's my jam. That's what I've done most of my yeah. career and um I, I mean I hope that there's some kind of resurgence of that as well because it is just yeah. good old fashioned entertainment. And sometimes yeah. we need that and we need to laugh and we need to just believe that there is good coming. Yeah. I'm, I'm imagining you doing in, in 42nd street, um, lullaby of Broadway, especially on that performance wow. where uh, what that must be like for, Pe- I mean, for Peggy to be in that point of like, I can't do this anymore. And then like the whole company rallies around and like, we have to do this. I can't, I actually, when I do master classes, which I love doing yeah. um, all over the country, I've been, been so fortunate to be, to be able to do master classes. I teach the original choreography of that because it's, oh. it's, it's very, you know, <laughs> here yeah. and it's, you know, it's, it's easy yeah. choreography for literally anyone of any dance level to do. Yeah. And I swear to God, I cannot have that song play without getting full body chills of yeah. excitement of just hope and love. And, and it really connects me to what, what we all love about Broadway is just that, yeah. that, that exact connection. When we get on stage as a performer or we go see a show yeah. And yeah, I mean, after 9-11, um, yeah. doing that number, doing 42nd Street, which the whole mm-hmm. beginning of that song is in the heart of little yeah. old New York. You know, yeah. I, I just, it, it was literally every show I, even if, you know, as performers, we can get tired. We can, we're athletes. We're, mm-hmm. you know, um, trying to get through eight shows a week. If anybody's done eight shows a week on Broadway, you know what I'm talking about. Yep. Oh yeah. Even in those moments before 9-11, when I was tired, I would always think I'm so lucky I have a chance to perform in someone's first Broadway show, or I'm getting a chance to do what I love, which is star on Broadway and tap dance. I mean, all of that that role combined every dream that I'd ever had. And after 9-11, it just added that extra layer of this is helping people. So mm-hmm. 
when you mentioned that I have a holistic health certification, I've mm -hmm. always, I, I went and got one, which basically is mind, body, skin, how to help people um, live their best life, look their best, feel their best, all of that. And I really, as a performer, have always felt that that is what I love to do, is to, is to transform people in that way. And it just connects through all, you know, if I have a side hustle or my main yeah. hustle performing, like all of it, I really feel like, um, it, you know, it's just, it's really just a, a different way of helping people. Yeah, that's wonderful. How did you make the transition into doing film and TV? Because you've done a lot of amazing film and TV stuff. Um, I actually, the, sh the show that got me my equity card, I did with Anna A. White, who was one yes. of the maids in Princess Diaries too. So I was hearing yes. a little bit about the filming of that, which you were in. Um, oh, God. So I, yeah. I'm honestly, I've always wanted to do all mediums. I've always wanted mm -hmm. to do television and film and all of it. And I had auditioned many times and I made my... I made my film debut um, as Marilyn Monroe. <laughs> no pressure. Whoa. Yeah. yeah. No pressure for that. <laughs> I was 21 years old and I was like, what? I'm going to be doing? <laughs> like how? Oh, so I was very, very, very thankful to get the, the, the little, literally just a cameo as Marilyn in the Paramount film Company Man. Mm -hmm. So I'd done some film before um, 42nd Street, but very, very little. Mm -hmm. And 42nd Street, of course, starting on Broadway, as everybody knows who has starred on Broadway, doors start flying open mm -hmm. for opportunities to be seen for real serious roles, guest stars, things like that. So I got to audition a lot more. And as you know, as an actor, you have to get an audition to get the part. Yeah. So yeah. I was auditioning a lot for a lot of things. And I got, I didn't get a lot of things, but I did get a lot um, a lot of really great opportunities, a lot of great guest stars. And I started my first uh, really big film um, film role was Lady Alyssa uh, yeah. in Princess Tires 2. Yeah. And the way that I got that part was yeah. also a very much a fairy tale. Mm -hmm. <laughs> so I, I did the show um, The Boyfriend in the Hamptons. And mm -hmm. it was the directorial debut of Dame Julie Andrews. Oh, you did that production. I oh did. My goodness. <laughs> so, wow. Uh, Every single thing you've ever done has like so much pressure attached to it. <laughs> <laughs> Nothing has compared to that pressure, let me tell you. Oh, I, uh, yeah, I auditioned for her because I honestly, I didn't think I'd get the part. I just wanted mm -hmm. to audition and say that I sang for Julie Andrews. Yeah. And I wanted to audition for you know, she was going to be directing the boyfriend at, in the Hamptons. And I was like, maybe I could do that part. I don't even really know the show that well. <laughs> but I, I just wanted to say that I sang for Julie Andrews. So I sang the most yeah. appropriate song for the show. Um, I, I remember wearing my hair like up in a thing. Like I, I didn't even dress 20s. I really just didn't. I just wanted to be in the same room with her. And yeah. she could not have been nicer. She is everything you want her to be. I met her in the grocery store when I was six years old <gasps> and it was magical. <laughs> it was magical. I think that might've been the, yeah. And I remember being like really, I remember being confused because it was Mary Poppins and Maria, but like at the same time, like I remember being a little like, and she was just a dream and sweetheart. Um, I, 
a, a wonderful childhood memory of getting to meet her. She honestly, I have so many stories. I could just do a podcast just about her. Yeah. Um, but I got, I, I got the show and <laughs> I got the role that she played, <laughs> which yeah, I no never pressure. in a million years thought I would get. And I never in a million years thought I would uh, know that kind of pressure. And I'd already started on Broadway. So this pressure was way, way different. Yeah. Um, but I, I got that, that show and we performed in the Hamptons for uh, a month and every single person who was a Broadway person came to see the show. I was, it was literally like starring on Broadway. And um, she was incredible to me, such a loving, wonderful person. Mm -hmm. we, we still are in touch and still are, uh, you know, she's, she's just awesome. Um, but she, we were supposed to transfer to Off-Broadway. Mm -hmm. uh, because it's really an off-Broadway musical. If you know the musical, it's very, it's very cute yeah. and should be in a small theater. And because she was filming Princess Diaries 2, she wasn't able to transfer it off-Broadway. And this is the, this is the, the reason uh, that I heard. And then she told me, oh, you're going to be in L.A. I would like you to meet, I, I, I want you to meet Gary Marshall. Do you think yeah. you can meet Gary Marshall? And I was like, do you think I can meet him? Oh my God. <laughs> no, I'm too busy. I don't think I can do that. So she and her uh, incredible manager, Steve, set, set up a meeting with me, with Gary. Mm -hmm. And little did I know that they had already talked. And Gary was going to create a role for me in this movie. Basically because mm -hmm. Julie said... Oh, wow. <laughs> so they created this role, Lady Alyssa. Alyssa is, um, is Gary Marshall's uh, daughter-in-law's name. Mm -hmm. And Wells is actually Julie Andrews' uh, real last name. Yeah. If you read her biography, you'll see. Mm -hmm. um, and I, that's how I got the name Lady Alyssa Wells. And I met with Gary, and he oh. just sat with me and had me do some accents with him. And it was just you know, tell me about, you know, whatever. And I was like, yeah. okay, it was really yeah. an awesome, awesome meeting. And I did that, that um, movie and it really opened up a lot of doors again for me in terms of TV and film. But uh, you can see in that movie, I had actually cut my hair for the boyfriend. I cut it. Because mm. yeah. Julie. when Julie Andrews asked you to cut your hair, right. you do. Yeah. And, <laughs> and yeah. so my hair is really short and I, I learned my English accent from her, so I sound like her in the movie. And you played opposite Callum Blue, is that right? Callum Blue. Who I'm a huge fan of from Dead Like Me. Yes, yes. <laughs> yeah, I adore him on Dead Like awesome Me. Awesome too, and, and it was yeah. the first time anyone had ever seen Chris Pine, and he was super yeah. nice, and he was only 23 at the time. Wow. Um, yeah, it was, it was awesome, but I really just, TV and film just, um, I auditioned for a lot of things, but there was a lot of stuff that I didn't get. I was up for yeah. Grey's Anatomy. I got really close to that show. Mm. That was really hard <laughs> to yeah. not get. Yeah. Um, you know, there's a lot of shows that you don't get as an actor yeah. that are life-changing. Um, yeah. That during a pandemic right now, you know, a lot of people who are theater actors want to do TV and film so that they have some kind of cushion money-wise. Right. That's not the only reason, but it, you know, those those actors are still hopefully getting something, getting some money because their shows yeah. are being streamed like crazy right now. Right. 
but that's the long and short, <laughs> short, short story. Yeah. <laughs> well, and everybody should go to your website and check out all the amazing things you've done. Cause you've done, I mean, we talked about like three shows briefly, but you've done so many wonderful, amazing things. And you're so talented. I remember, I mean, just in princess diaries, something that I've always been impressed with, with your performance is you're kind of in a way the like rival of princess Mia in that film, yeah. like, like a little, a little bit. <laughs> And, yeah. and, but we always love you and we're always like rooting for you. And we never feel like, oh, get her off. Cause you know, ugh, Princess Mia, she, you know, we, we, you, you, you made, you made that, that role could have been like a little villainous and it never was. I remember watching it and being like, she's the one I'd like to sit down and like have coffee with. Cause she just seems Aww. very nice and smart and great. And when the other guy ends up with you, you're like, oh, thank God. Yes. That's, th that's how it should be. Um, and I think, I think that's a role that could have eased very easily turned not that. And I was always very impressed with how you played it in your interpretation of it. Oh, thank um, you. And I, you know, I never got any, I never got any notes to be villainous or anything. I never, right. I just played it kind of in how I would play it. And yeah, um, it's funny because Chris Pine and I became friends and I, you know, apparently he had a little crush on me and I never Aww. thought of, <laughs> I never thought of him in that way. I always kind yeah. of thought of him like a little brother because he's five yeah. years older than me. Um, and Annie, uh, Anne Hathaway and I, the, the, um, the immediate first day that I came to set, she pulled me aside and started asking me about Broadway because, you know, she's a New oh, Jersey girl yeah. and she's done a lot of theater and, and has always wanted to star on Broadway. Yeah. Um, and at the time, she knew I was the Broadway girl. So she and I had lunch and she was so sweet and so nice oh. to me. So I think that just probably translated on screen yeah. that, that friendship that we all had on set. And yeah, I never really thought of her as a villain. That's so funny, but yeah. Um, <laughs> well, when you take some of her lines at face value, they that would be like the easy choice. I feel like to play it that way. Yeah, and that's yeah. never where it went. You came across as like the most intelligent person in that group, and the one who was just like <laughs> not a part of the drama. And it's like, oh, so much could be rectified if we all just thought a little bit more like Lady Alyssa. <laughs> <laughs> nice, I love it. I love. I should just be a little more like Lady Alyssa. But in yeah. your play, Snow. Yes, I you're am, not playing that. I am not. I am. I am the opposite of that, and it is so lovely yeah. and refreshing. In fact, I was saying to my friend, I love being mm -hmm. old enough now to play a little bit of a villain, and it's very oh, rare yeah. that I get to. So I'm really thankful. Really? For that. Oh yes, it's very rare that I still that I get to, and maybe it's the blonde hair, blue eyed. I don't Maybe. know. I don't know. But it's fun. It's really fun. And your play oh, is incredible. Well, thank you. Well, it feels weird asking you about my play, but since that's what you're working on at the moment, what's it, what's it like for you doing a piece on Zoom? And this is a very dark, straight play, which is a little bit different from some of the things that you've done and the role's very different. So I guess what was your experience like of, of reading the script and doing an audition and then now we're working on it um, on Zoom, which is a it's very, very strange. And a lot of us, as we said in the first rehearsal, this is our first yeah. Zoom experience, you know. Um, I've always fancied myself as an actor, no matter what I'm, if yeah. I'm from singing or dancing. Mm -hmm. And uh, I think as you get older, you, you well, I know as you get older, you have more substance to yourself as a person. Mm -hmm. And um, 
I just get, you know, I, I've always loved to do plays. Like I said, my first Broadway show was a play. I've done a play at the Actors Studio when I was 20. Mm -hmm. uh, I've done a play here at the Geffen Playhouse. Nice. Um, I love plays. I love comedy. I love, I love drama. I love it all. Like I really, I really do. Uh, I fancy myself <laughs> um, an eclectic performer. And I, and I like to, to do something that, scares me a little bit which mm -hmm. your play uh, in terms of the switching of characters yeah and the depth of you know i get to play a mother who is an alcoholic and mm -hmm. you know abusive and all all of these things that i'm like ooh, that's fun like you know <laughs> it's it, yeah it, it is something where it really is just going back to being a storyteller and and mm -hmm. does the script excite you that's always been my first thing. And the first read of a script always um, is my, it's my test. Does this excite me? Do I get it? Do I see what they're doing? Do I, you know, and I immediately did with yours. And I just, I actually, it's funny, and I'm, I'm admitting this to you now. I had the audition material for quite a while before I actually uh -huh. did it. And it was like uh -huh. night four. Remember, I was like, <laughs> yeah. I'm gonna get you, I swear. And it's yeah. because I was a little nervous about, is this gonna come off right? Is this going to tra translate? You know what I mean? Like I was auditioning, yeah. Yeah, you know, we, we all put ourselves on tape and do stuff like that. But yeah. I just, I was, I was a little nervous about how am I going to make this work? Um, yeah. And I think that that is the, and you could correct me if I'm wrong, as an, as an actor yourself, yeah, I think when things scare you a little bit, yeah, you know, you feel like that challenge. Mm -hmm. That's when you know you're in the right place. Yeah. Oh, absolutely. And I think as a writer too, if something's not scaring me a little bit, then usually if something is scaring me, it's 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 a good indicator that I'm doing something right. Yes. Yeah. It's challenging you, and I and I really. This play, I'm, I'm, I'm literally like, I just need like, I need to be on stage for like three months with this play to really find yeah. it. <laughs> well, that's what, that's what I feel so bad about it because this play um, is a very physical piece. I mean, when, yeah, it is. when, when we did it, it was very much, um, it's in a black, we did it in like a, a black box theater off Broadway um, with a trunk and nothing else. And all the props oh, wow. and costume pieces were in the trunk and um, we created everything. So like um, there's a moment when Astrid is like flying to the top of the mountain and the other actors got me and did these cool dance lifts and stuff. And um, when Astrid gets buried under the ground, by that point, all of the props and costume pieces were out of the trunk and the trunk was sort of built as a bit of an optical illusion. So it looks smaller than it actually was. And they like shoved me in the trunk and I was physically in the trunk, which then became Isadora's um, vanity for the uh, next scene. Uh, so yeah. all the talk about like, you know, you killed your daughter. Technically I'm buried in the trunk that you're then oh, using so as your vanity. And so, and so everything was, was done that way and very physical and, um, you know, transition moments were extremely physical and we can't do any of that. Yeah. I mean, one of the plot points in the show is um, the character of Shadow is the ancient god of death and he takes people by giving them the kiss of death and we can't kiss anybody on Zoom. So <laughs> it's it's been interesting figuring all that 
out. Um, even, you know, honestly, and um, you saying that it's a very physical show, I, I literally yeah. find my character being a dancer, you know, mm-hmm. I find my character by, by, by the blocking, by interacting, yeah. actually moving mm-hmm. um, with all the other work that I do, but that, that really does cement things for me. And I can't yeah. keep that doing this. Well, and I feel terrible it. because this, this is a cast of, it's a cast of six. And me and one of the other actors have done every incarnation of it. So we, we've done it on our feet. So we know it. And the rest of you guys are new to the project. And I feel so bad because this is a piece that, you know, you need time to do dramaturgy on and delve into and figure it out on your feet. And, and we, we can't be doing any of that. So, um, so I mean, whenever, whenever anybody watches it, just know that there is so much more to it that is, I feel like, you know, when we yeah. get a chance to do it on stage, if yeah. I get a chance to do it with you, which would yeah, be Yeah, I, I hope that, that happens. So awesome. Um, yeah. There, there will be so many other layers to find. Yeah. Which, I, I don't know about you, but like, I know that if I do have a challenging role, the more I can do it, mm-hmm. like, I really feel like even Peggy Sawyer, it was about three months into my run that I really yeah. felt like I got it. Mm-hmm. You know, it's like, oh yeah, this is what the this is what the step is, or this is what the you know, yeah. and, and all of the elements kind of came together, and it's really that's that's what live theater is. It's why it's so yeah. dynamic, and it's never going to go away. I mean, all mm-hmm. this is going to come back. It's just going to be very slow. Yeah. Um, well, no, it, it's interesting about long runs. Uh, I get asked about, you know, sustaining a performance through long runs. I, d- I did my first long run of a show when I was 12, 13. It was over a year long run. And we did it. Um, we did it in Los Angeles. We d- took it to the UK. So that was that was when I first performed. We did London Warwick and Stratford and we toured it all around. And I, I was finding new things like at the, the last day that I performed. And it's yeah, which is then very weird when you do something like this that feels almost like a just just a more polished reading in that, you know, we're not yeah. really able to interact. We get sort of like one shot at it. Um, yeah, so that's those a are, good way. That's a, it's a good way to, to it's a good yeah. way to say that, that it is feels like a very polished choreographed, yeah. uh, meaning the, the medium of it is choreographed. Right. Like we know when we're camera off, mic off, all that stuff but it does feel like a very um, polished reading. It's not the full fruition of what the play is, but it's still Mm -hmm. amazing. And I'm so grateful for your musical theater background because I I found in training programs and whatnot and and in casting sometimes, there tends to be this stigma about like you're a musical theater person or you're like a straight actor or whatnot. And I don't know. I've, I've, I've found that people, A, if you're a good actor, you're a good actor, but being a dancer gives you this beautiful awareness of your body that you can use in so many different ways. And I've actually found that people that are really great musical theater singers translate very easily to doing Shakespeare because they know how to work with heightened language. Um, and so I I'm very appreciative. I've, I've always, you know, I told you uh, when you were helping me with Cymbeline, <laughs> I've, I've, I've never done Shakespeare. I've never gotten the chance. And you're right with the stigma of people mm-hmm. who are, especially song and dance, because that's what I, you know, I, I, I've been put into a box. You're yeah. a tap dancer, you sing, you know, yeah. you do. if I do a genre very well, I'm very, very happy that people think of me when they think of, oh, we need a Ginger Rogers type. And I'm like, yeah. oh my God, to be in the same 
you know, sentence with her is amazing. Right. But it does, as somebody who wants to be more eclectic, somebody who does want to branch out, and I do want to have this be a long career, not just, you know, one or two shows, it does, it does limit you. Mm-hmm. But you're right. If you're a good actor, you're a good actor. And I feel yeah. like that all the things you said about being able to use your body and connect, you know, with the text and uh, be and, and you are a singer yourself. So you, you yeah. have that, you know how to, you know, um, you know, use, use your voice in a very productive way on stage. And yeah, well, I think, I think all, of it, all of it helps. <laughs> yeah, well, and I think it's twofold. And it's one of the reasons that I have so, such an issue with so many musical theater training programs is they don't train artists in acting in the same way that dramatic acting programs do. And I think some of that is up, is up to time. I mean, if you're going to be a real musical theater performer, you have to be singing in multiple styles. Not You're not just a dancer. You have to do tap jazz and ballet and now like contemporary and modern. And you have to do like all these different things. So it sort of takes up more time in your day. But I feel like acting is sometimes what goes by the wayside. And I feel yeah, like I a lot of... Yes. I, and I agree. I agree with you. Most of people, yeah. most of the people who go on to be dancers professionally on Broadway or, or the like have been dancing since they were five or six years old. And yeah. Myself, yeah. I've been dancing since I was three. So when I got to New York and I was going to go to a school, you know, um, I was going to go to Juilliard and then Juilliard wanted to accept me in the dance program. And I was like, mm-hmm. I think I need to work on the other side a little bit. Yeah. And so I yeah. chose not to go to Juilliard. I wanted to go to a school that would, would round me out in terms mm-hmm. of my skill. And I thought it was, you know, although having the Juilliard stamp on your resume would have been amazing, but I really don't regret that decision because I did get to explore the acting side of it. Not, not as, not to the extent as, you know, I would, I would have liked to, I did more of that on my own out of, out of school. You Um, have to, which, yeah, yeah. you have to. And as a teacher, when I started teaching here at university, I was actually in charge of the dancers, the dance acting Mm. program. And there is a stigma with, with these dancers, yeah. uh, being like, Oh, this is just an elective. Like you have to, I don't know, sort of know how to act. And I sat them all down and I was like, no, 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 no. You are a storyteller. You are yeah. still an actor. And we're going to, we're going to work on your acting. We are going to get down deep into it. And they were all so thankful that I was such a champion of them. And I didn't treat them differently because they were just a dancer. Just yeah. like you shouldn't t- treat someone who is just an actor if you have them in a dance class. You no. treat them as an artist who is working on a side of their craft. Mm-hmm. And it, it is kind of a homeostasis of the being a triple threat or, or being yeah. somebody who can do so many different things. And I feel like Shakespeare is a whole nother side of all of that, <laughs> which it is. Yeah. Yeah. But well, and, and you're constantly working on your skills and sharpening your toolbox, if you will. Yeah. And I think sometimes casting doesn't help because there is definitely a stigma about like the Broadway musical theater ingenue is somebody who's pretty and not like super smart. And yeah. I don't know. I really disagree with that. Sarah Ford and I have had a lot of conversations that I, I like my ingenues to be really intelligent. And to me, that's what sells it. 
but and that's yeah, I, I think I'm so thankful you are a writer as well. I mean, you, <laughs> are, you. you write such incredible stuff and you do write very strong women characters. And I think that we thank need you. more of that because yeah. it is, it, you are right. They do, you know, casting directors, their job is to cast you. So a lot of the times they put you in a type and a box and a, you know, and it's, I've had so many instances of people saying, well, you're a blonde. And I'm like, I can right. wear a wig. Like I can, I, you know, yeah. I, they don't have yeah. imagination in that way. And so a lot of right. times the ingenue, which I believe is changing. I feel like a I lot hope of so. characters are changing and yeah. the, it's broadening a little bit. Yeah, I just think that for me, innocence is a separate thing from intelligence. And a lot of times innocence and stupidity go hand in hand. And I, <laughs> I'm, I'm, not, I'm not a fan of it. And also like, I mean, I don't know with dancers. I mean, I've been dancing since I was two. And there is that thing that as a dancer, you are trained to do what that choreographer tells you and to take a lot of abuse sometimes and whatnot. And yep. so then dancers tend to get a stigma of not a brain in their head, but they'll do anything you tell them to do, which is, I don't know, I think... We need to just start a school and break down some of these things because it's not, not cool. Especially if you come from the ballet world, which I do. Yes. And yeah, me too. Are, yeah, you are told what to do. And mm -hmm. in fact, I've had a lot of uh, film and television directors out here be like, oh, you're a, you're a theater girl. That's why you're on time. That's why you yeah. say. <laughs> That's why yeah. you, you don't challenge everything I say. And, you, and, you know, if they... It, there is something to be said for that discipline. And I do have a lot of people who on the flip side really appreciate yeah. that discipline. And when you do start to uh, work and show up and you are intelligent and also- And always hit your mark without having to look down. And always, and, yeah. You know. yeah, exactly. And you, 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 know, you know what you're doing and you're there and you're reliable. Um, that's, you know, that's something that people love and they want to hire you. And it's a yeah. small business, right? We all know that. Yeah. Mm -hmm. <laughs> so your yeah. reputation is a lot. Yeah. Well, since we're working on snow for people who don't know, why not? And, and since you're, you're newer to it than I am, um, can you tell folks listening what snow is, what it's about? Um, what oh, God, interested I you in the piece? <laughs> I know. I'm sorry. I'm sorry. <laughs> <laughs> it's like... Can you, if, if I was, if I was talking about Follies and you were Stephen Sondheim, right. like, can you tell me about Follies? I'd be like, oh my God, yes. But um, do I want to say it in front of you? Well, it is. It, it's it, probably it, better because you have a newer, fresher, you know, outside perspective on it. So it is, yeah. it is a, oh, I'm going to, I'm going to butcher it, Ashley. I know it. <laughs> it is a telling of Snow White. Mm -hmm. It is, um, past, present, and uh, weaving in different characters from those eras. It, it's bringing in um, history into Snow White as well as um, expanding on what maybe was lost in the story. Uh, it's, and, and, and like I said, I, it's, it's a cast of six characters and we're all playing different, we're weaving in and out of those timelines. Mm -hmm. And <laughs> just, I feel like I'm, I'm already butchering it, but no, you're not near at all. I'm actually, honestly, and I, I, I'm learning a lot about the, the story of Snow White and how we all know how stories are, you know, kind of telephoned through generations and they could have been 
changed and they were. And I know that um, in your research of doing this, you probably delved a lot deeper than I even have into Cassell's library and um, the story of Snow White and, and, and just in general, um, how stories were, were brought down from, you know, through the ages and, and how, how you could tell the story, you know, with Donna and Astrid in present day, a present day kind of Snow White um, with sort of a, I consider her, you know, a little, not, not schizophrenic, but just switching of personalities based yeah. on her um, alcoholism and things like that and turning into the evil stepmother and then going back to, you know, a uh, loving mother. Um, but it really is a, a very dynamic way of, of telling all of the history of Snow White and weaving the characters in. Um, and I know that I butchered the summary. You did not at all. That was lovely. It was but lovely. And you're doing such an amazing job in the show. It's thank so, you. It's so good. But I really, you know, I, I, I was going to ask you. Yeah. Is there anything that, um, in going down the rabbit hole of finding out about Snow White, is there anything that, like, I mean, that must have been in, like, an, an internet search, like, to start this whole thing. Well, I how did you start so, write it? Here's, so here's the weird thing about me. I didn't have to do any research because I knew all of the stuff going in. That's, oh, what, okay. a nerd, that's what a nerd I am about fairy tales. I mean, I double-checked certain things, but um, I've always loved fairy tales since I was really young. And, like, my favorite thing to do would be to go to the library and check out, like, every version of the fairy tale that existed. And I read the Grimm Brothers biography at it earlier age. And so, so all this stuff is stuff that I already knew and wanted to sort of make sense of. And actually, I guess the trajectory of my writing this play, I guess without being too long-winded about it, it started actually as I was commissioned to write a children's theater production of Snow White, which is not the play that we're doing. Yeah. But it was this other thing. And Snow White's always fascinated me because there are plot holes in it and there are things that break the rules of other fairy tales. Like, for example, it's the only fairy tale where being nice to an old woman will not get you a reward. It will kill you. Um, so there's things that, like, don't jive with other fairy tale rules. And I knew all of this research about it. I knew how it had been collected. I knew about editing changes that had happened. Um, and so I was like, okay, well, I'm going to write my version of the fairy tale, but I kind of want it to be my version and I answer some questions and some of these plot holes and things. So it did actually tell the story and this won't really make sense to listeners, but the Snow White character, instead of finding seven dwarves, found Gwil, Solaris, and Shadow in the little house in the, in the tree in the forest because um, dwarves and fairies and whatnot, as is said in the play, used to be the ancient gods of yeah. Germany and, and all those countries. So I was like, what would my version of the of the dwarves be? And I'm like, well, they're 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 ancient gods. Dwarves were originally the gatekeepers between worlds. Like, what would I do with that? So I wrote this piece, and it it wasn't quite a children's theater piece, but it wasn't an adult piece. And we did a reading of it, and it was one of the worst experiences I've ever had as a writer. Like like ever. And I don't I don't want to go into too much detail because I don't want to like throw anybody under the bus. But let's just say I left that reading feeling myself thrown under the bus a little bit and questioning everything about myself as a writer. Like I, for the first time, for first and 
kind of only time in my life I left there being like, I don't know if I should ever put another word on a piece of paper. And it was this really, it was just this really awful thing. Isn't that, you know, to not just yeah. side, sidestep a little bit, but isn't that mm -hmm. kind of like every single artist that has been successful has had that moment of being yeah. like, I should never do this again. Like I just yeah. so bad or whatever happened. It, it, yeah. it puts that in your head. And I find oh. most talented people usually say that the most. <laughs> yeah, it was, it was, it's very scary to go through it though, because I'm somebody that I'm very good at taking criticism. I'm very good at realizing when things need to be changed. Um, but it, but under, but underneath it feeling like, cool, I know what I need to do and I'm going to do the thing and, and whatnot. And this was the first time, like all of that, I just felt like shaken to the core oh. and I didn't, I didn't know what to do. And I sort of was like, if I don't get back on the horse, this could be real bad. So I did, I rewrote it as a children's piece. I like finished my commission and that was that, but I really sat back and I'm like, okay, what do I actually want to be writing about? What is it that I actually want to be exploring in the show? And I was like, I, I want to talk about the importance and power of storytelling because storytelling used to be inherent to us as human beings in our collective culture. And we're not really a storytelling culture anymore. Yeah. Um, other than like going to a show or going to see a movie or something, we don't sit around and tell stories and stories were hugely impactful on me as a child. I went through some very difficult experiences growing up, you know, stories um, and storytelling, you know, got me through it. And I wanted to explore that. And so sort of going from that as my goal um, and being like, okay, great. So that's what I want to do. Let's actually write this as an adult piece. So I don't have to shy away from anything I want to explore. Um, and then I just, I don't know. I sat down and I don't, I don't quite remember where the idea of the three different storylines originally came from. I knew that I, I wanted to talk about the origins of the story because one person who, who was a friend of mine made a very helpful observation at this reading of, I, she said, I don't think you're aware that not everybody knows as much about the history of, of these things as you do. <laughs> and I'm like, oh, that's, that's a very good but point. So, but that, that's a really good point. But what's really great about it is that you are yeah. in, in doing this play, you are teaching people. And that's the, yeah. the first time I read it, I was like, oh my God, I had no idea. And of course, yeah. of course it was changed. And of course it's right. This and, and so it, it actually did and does teach people about the, yeah. uh, the history of it. So it's awesome. Yeah. So I think I wanted to, I wanted to, to sort of dog ear the three moments where storytelling changed the most for us as a culture. And so the first one, the first storyline is the historically accurate story of the Grimm brothers and how they collected the tales and why that was important. And then why they themselves started changing it. The next time things really changed was in the Victorian era where the stories fell out of fashion with adults. And so they started sending them up to the nursery and they started deliberately rewriting them and putting these like little morals on the end. So a lot of what we think of as fairy tales being morals for children came from the Victorian era. It didn't come from when they were originally created. And then the next big change, honestly, is sort of in modern day with, with the Disney era and Disney completely rewrote fairy tales as well. And I'm, I'm a big fan of Disney, but that's kind of what we think of now when we think of certain fairy tales. And so I had those sort of three and then I interwove the this, this storylines and I had the same actors play parallel archetypes in each. And um, yeah, wanted it to be an exploration of what happens when we start losing our stories when we no longer, I mean, Clara in the Victorian storyline, I think the reason that she has such a tragic outcome 
is she was never prepared. And stories are one way that one, one thing that can prepare you to face the outside world. And um, there's that scene that you have with the ghost of young Clara, where she really starts yeah. saying, you know, I, you only read me happy stories and you only read me stories with easy morals on the end. And maybe if I'd been better prepared, these things wouldn't have happened. And then yeah. in modern day, you have Astrid who gets the stories, but isn't, doesn't know if she can really believe in the hope of them. So I did that. And then I wrote it in like six days because I tend to write things quickly. <laughs> you know, and having worked on the other, the other, um, yeah. meeting with you, like, and you wrote that really yeah. fast. Like you, you just, yeah. I think you, you are, incredible that you can do that and then you Thank just you. power through it's almost like it's all compressed in here and then you just like yeah. let it out in a week and it all comes <laughs> out it's like that it's one of my favorite books called big magic by elizabeth nice. silver which is all about when the magic's coming through you you have to let it out and get it down on paper or however yeah. you 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 know um show yeah. magic as an artist and you do that so well, well and thank this, you this well, well, is, is so much fun and it's like i said i just I feel like I'm literally at the tip of the iceberg. Yeah. Of, uh, yeah. You know, the characters that I get to play, which I love. So do you have much. a favorite part? Do you have a favorite thing that you get to do? <laughs> you know, I, it's so funny because I told, I actually told my mother, whose name is Donna, who. My oh God, I'm so sorry. <laughs> I remember you said that and I wasn't. I wasn't sure if you'd read the play before or after you told me that anecdote. And I'm like, oh, yay. <laughs> so I would say Donna would be my favorite because right. it's my mother's name. But when I told my mother, the, I said, mom, when you watch this, trust me, like <laughs> you are nothing like Donna. But yeah. um, I do, I love the, you know, Isadora is, is uh, I feel like she's this wolf in sheep's clothing that she's trying to, show uh you know a, a, a side of her that is proper and she's but then deep, deep down she's just you know a cesspool of evil and <laughs> um but I love all three characters so much I just really love and then of course I love being the evil queen when she comes yeah. out um, but you do it so beautifully. You do it so wonderfully. I wish I got to like see you do it more because I'm always like staring in the camera. It's, you're right. It is very much like shooting coverage. I'm always staring in the camera and I'm like, I can't wait to see this later and see all the choices that Meredith's making. It is very much, you know, this is, this is something that um, this play, when I read it, I'm like, this could be a film. This is an incredible story, the way that you weave them all in. I really do love it, and I hope that I hope that there it's that it's well received via Zoom. I know that it's not. I, guess I keep saying it's not fully realized because I just don't want people to think that. You know, I I, I feel like if you have a, a reading of something on Zoom that is transporting you somewhere, imagine what it will be like. Yeah. With all the other elements, because as we know, yeah. theater is a collective art, and and having all of the elements together lighting and stage and sets and and costumes and yeah. all the ma the amazing things and then just the ability to to have the you know um, molecular energy of being in the same room yeah. which does change people as actors and performers and it's why live theater is still what it is yeah it's, it's interesting because want to be in the same room yes <laughs> It's made me think a lot about the development process of pieces because physicality in my work has always been very important. When I was younger, I kind of thought for a while that I didn't know if I wanted to be 
an actor because all the plays that I had seen were completely devoid of physicality. And they were like a lot of people sitting around a table, like talking at each other. And so I tend to write very physical pieces because that is something that I love exploring. Yeah. Yeah. Um, But the entire development process of the way new pieces work is completely separated from physicality. Um, And I understand it to a degree because adding physicality is a whole other rehearsal process and it uses the actor's time in a very specific way. But it, what it ends up meaning with, a bunch of readings and things is a lot of times you end up with something that is phenomenal on paper and it's just great on paper. And if you get up with music stands, it's great. And then when it starts translating to a stage, it suddenly doesn't work anymore. And it's one of the reasons I feel very fortunate that a lot of my work has been developed on its feet, but it's interesting then to take a piece that is very physical and has been done physically and take it back to kind of basically just the language part of it, which I also love heightened language. And that's a big part of the show too, but yeah, it's, it's yeah. It, I think. I, I think, think it's I great. Think, yeah. Yeah, and, and 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 going to what you said, it's very hard to know yeah. what is going to work and what isn't going to work in this business anyway. Like regardless right. of this process, I mean, it is hard to know. That's why there is yeah. no formula. There is kind of a yeah. formula, but but there's no way. There's no rhyme or reason to know if it will work or not, or if it right. will go or not, as we say, if it'll have yeah. legs. But I think, you know, um, when I get excited about something just in script form, that's, you know, that's my indication that it's a good project to work on. So, and that's- What advice, well, thank you. (laughs) Thank you. What what advice would you give to artists out there who are either wanting to, to make the arts their career or are struggling with the quarantine and all this stuff going on right now of how- Oh gosh, I'm gonna put on- holistic health hat as well as my artist hat because it's there's a lot to um there's a lot to consume at this time uh Mm -hmm. mentally and i you know in my 20s when i first started out god even before then i had such driving ambition within me I could not get to New York fast enough. I couldn't get to audition for dance class or, you know, I just wanted to be in the thick of it with everybody. And if, if there's anybody out there now who feels that way and can't, I get it. I, I, I mean, I don't get it because I didn't have to do it at the time, but I get it. There's moments that I have now where I'm like, I just want to dance. I just want to yeah. sing. I just want to do something. So I do. I just, I, I get on Zoom and it's not the same at all, but I, you know, I have young kids, so they get to be kid-like with me or I get to be kid-like with them and I dance around and I, I get out that kinetic energy that's inside my body, um, which is very good for your immune system. It's very good for your body as a whole to get that, those feelings out. You know, the, if you remember back in the day, restless leg syndrome was like a thing. Mm-hmm. I used to always say, just get up and dance, get up and move around. Like your body needs to move. So if you're, if you feel like you are in this containment place and that's just, that's just body wise, mentally, you know, start a journal really. If you ha- you don't already have one, write down your thoughts, your feelings, create things that you can start to start to think outside the box creatively. Um, I used to constantly tell myself, and now I'm writing a book. I used to constantly tell myself, you're not a writer. You don't know how to write. You've never trained in writing. Like, I feel like I have to train in something to be able to be creative at it. But 
You don't. If you are somebody right now who wants to paint, order some paints online, get a canvas, and start creating. Because regardless of what your normal creative life is like, I feel like any kind of creative, um, cathartic thing that you can do for yourself is very important. It's as important as eating vegetables or you know drinking water or getting your exercise. Um, you really need that connection. And even though I'm on Zoom doing these Zoom rehearsals with you, Ashley, yeah. mm -hmm. I do feel a, a sense, it's a very different sense, but I feel a sense of connection, artistry. Uh, I feel like I'm using those muscles again. So that's, that would be my advice. It is yeah. hard. Um, know that. So have your, if you ha have five minutes of anger that you need to scream in a pillow, do it mm -hmm. because you need to get all that out. And then you need to find every day, find five things you're grateful for and just repeat mm -hmm. that in your head. And you know, if you're having a hard time finding something, just take a deep breath. And that is, you know, that's what I always do. And especially now in this environment, taking a deep breath, mm -hmm. um, that is, that is something that I will, I, I've been connecting a lot to, you know, people on ventilators and people with masks mm -hmm. and people who are healthcare workers and all of that stuff. I really, I have to get out of my own way and get out of my own head and get back to just being grateful. Mm -hmm. And I, you know, it's, it's hard. It's different for everybody. Like you were saying before, everybody has a different experience. There's a lot of fear. There's a lot of angst. There's a lot of whatever your situation is, but yeah. always trying to go back to gratitude sounds really Zen and woo woo. as <laughs> one of my friends used to say, but it, you know, if you can do it and you can get back there every day, then you've won and you go mm -hmm. on to the next day. And I, every day I wake up now, I go, you know what? I'm, I'm not one of the, 190 something thousand people that have passed away and I I am lucky that I still don't even know anyone personally who has passed away from coronavirus and that to me feels like a blessing yeah for sure so, yeah. you know I'm I'm very grateful for the opportunity to connect with people that I wouldn't normally like you know you and I are doing a show together and that probably that probably wouldn't normally be happening because we live in different places I, and, yeah, well I, at this particular moment maybe not but we yes and we will be doing it in person soon as well but you're also you're making your UK debut technically with this show it's very strange but I'm technically making my UK yeah debut. yes and it's with a UK theater company and we have Broadway performers and LA performers and UK performers in it and I um, I've connected with artists out of Chicago and very, various places that, um, we met because we were all just sort of online, like looking for people and we can because of the virtual thing. Um, so I don't know, I'm trying, I'm trying to look at that as, as something definitely to be grateful for in amongst a lot of really horrible things that are going on. At the yeah. Moment. I feel like, um, I'm starting to say, you know, Things are, if, if something, it's a very Zen, a very Zen saying, which is any, anything that happens is a happy accident. It's leading yeah. towards something better. It's very hard to say that in a pandemic. Yeah. It, like that's like monk Zen 
mindset, but I do in the small things that happen. Like when we were rehearsing and my internet went out, I was like, yeah. okay. Yeah. <laughs> you remember my text? I was like, happy accident, I guess. Right. Maybe this yeah. is just something. Who knows? But yeah. um, I do find that if I can not, and I'm I, even more so than anything now, I don't sweat the small stuff. I'm not really concerned with, you know, comparison is death in terms of like scrolling yeah. on social media, which I know a lot of people are doing way too much screen time right now. But, um, you know, doing that whole thing where, what, that we do in this entertainment industry where we compare ourselves with everybody and what everybody's doing. Well, nobody's doing anything really right now. Yeah. But yeah. it is that mentality of, keeping up with the Joneses or, or keeping up with your dreams and any of that stuff. And I feel like we all just have to collectively stop with that sympathetic, parasympathetic nervous system, fight or flight thing and just get back to a centered place and, and slow down a little bit. Mm -hmm. And I'm telling my 20 year old self to do that because I know there's somebody out there who was like, just, yeah so pissed off that there's so many things that they should be doing or are supposed to be doing and yeah. all of those things. And we just all have to just take a breath and know that this is for our greater good, whatever that is. Maybe it's going to teach a whole new set of skills for live theater yeah. you know, to be streamed on Netflix or Disney plus or things like that, which will open up us as performers to so many more millions of people. So that will also add more security to us and our careers financially. So that could be the thing. I mean, who knows? This is where I'm trying to always find yeah. the, the Pollyanna, Peggy Sawyer, good yeah. side of everything. But well, and one good thing that people can take advantage of is working with you, whether for holistic healing or for coaching, how can people find you if they want to get in you touch? Know, I, I, I'm not really doing as much personal um, holistic health coaching, but I would if people reach yeah. out to me and they really want help. Um, yeah. And what I usually do with that is kind of, I, I can do it on Zoom, but I've had, um, I just have hour long uh, consultation. Yeah. The first one's always free. And it's basically, um, it's bio-individual. So it's to your needs and wants, body, mind, and spirit. And I'm not a nutritionist, but I have a lot of training in how to balance and eliminate addictive foods. Um, you know, I have I've taken- You're also an athlete who's done eight shows a week. So I would totally trust you to tell me what to be eating. <laughs> I love to teach people how to eat for eight shows a week because I did yeah. not as Peggy and I wish that I did. And I learned a yeah. lot about that. But yeah, it's, it's basically, um, I went to the Institute for Integrative Nutrition in New York. And I'm also a graduate of the National Holistic Institute here in Los Angeles. So I do have training. I do have a certification with the um, certification with both of those schools, as well as uh, you know a couple other certifications. But I have 20 years experience as an as an athlete and as a you know dancer, yeah. actor in the entertainment industry, which is all about taking care of yourself. So I do I do love to coach people privately um, mm -hmm. on taking care of themselves. So to find me, you mm -hmm. can go to MeredithPatterson.com. And I get all those messages. So great, great, straight to that. But I have uh, an Instagram as well, Mayor Patterson and Meredith Braley is my holistic, um, my holistic health Instagram. So 
And you're oh, also okay. a wonderful performance coach and performer. Like hire, hire her, call, call her up, hire her. She's Thank a joy and a delight to work with. I've taught at three universities and master classes and I love teaching on camera technique and teaching people how to look good for the camera and what angles to use and things like that. Which you always do. I mean, every time we come yeah. onto Zoom, I'm like, Meredith, how do you always look so good? I have, my, I have I'll show you. I have my ring yeah. light. Oh, yay. So, you know, you have to have these tools now. You should have them anyway. But yeah. now, especially with... Um, you know, this is, this is our medium. So yeah. you have to, you have to be a technician as well as an artist. So you have to be yeah. a quadruple threat, I guess. Yeah. yeah. <laughs> and snow is yeah. being, snow is being performed live on Friday, October 2nd at 7.30 PM UK time, which is 2.30 p.m. New York time and 11.30 a.m. Los Angeles time. We've gotten really good at doing the conversions, but it's going to be up for 48 hours afterwards. So if you get a ticket, you can see it if, if that particular time doesn't work for you. And you can get tickets by going to um, southdevonplayers.com. Um, or are you, you going to watch yourself after it's done? Are you going to go back oh, and watch yourself? Gosh. I don't probably not. I don't know. I've gotten I've gotten actually really good at watching back like film things or performance things that I've done in order to analyze it or or like as a writer to make it better or whatnot. So I I can do it, but I mean watching myself is not my favorite. Thing. It's horrifying. <laughs> I, I realized that that when I saw my first thing I ever did on television, which was Boston Legal. Mm -hmm. And I knew like 12 million people were watching it because it was opposite Tom Selleck and all these incredible, yeah. you know, Candace Bergen. And it was on yeah. ABC and I was like, oh my God. Yeah. I got so sick to my stomach. I was covering my face. All my friends were like, oh my God, your scene's on. And I was like, mm -hmm. I don't want to see it. I can't take it. Every, yeah. just, every insecurity you have about yourself. And oh, it's yeah. really not even about that. It's just this strange feeling of seeing yourself yeah. Seeing myself on, in Princess Diaries when we did the, like, to see myself in the big screen. I, oh, gosh. I, ah, horrifying. It's horrifying. horrifying. Yeah, it's horrifying. And, I, oh. and I, I don't like it. So I know that there's a lot yeah. of actors who don't like watching themselves. Yeah. I, 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 like you, have learned how to separate yeah. myself. I have a, um, a short film that's coming out. Mm -hmm. uh, awesome. That's, that, that I'm the star of, and it's very... Nice. Very strange, um, but yeah. I've learned to separate myself, trying to separate myself and to really, yeah. I have to watch it a few times to really be able to separate, which I never truly am able to do, but right. to really watch yeah. the story and see if it works. And, and I'm, but I'm always kind of judging myself, which is, yeah, that's an actor's yeah. job. <laughs> that was that was one of the oddly freeing things about Hamlet is um, I, I I didn't look like myself in any way shape or form um, had no makeup on was wearing a wig was wearing um, body altering clothing and and things like that so when I would see clips and whatnot it felt like it wasn't me in a way yeah. which was that was that was nice and that was very free I think that would be easier I've never done anything yeah. where I've really looked so different. Yeah. Um, except for, I think the, yeah, the worst for me is when I have to watch myself on camera and I'm supposed to, I'm supposed to be a pretty woman. Like, I'm oh. like, that's like, that's what I'm, cause then I don't know. Then all it is is about like the way you look, but that's why I don't know. I like on film playing. If you're supposed to, if you, if you're supposed to be like sexy 
or you're supposed oh to gosh. do something else. No. I'm always going to the comedy with myself. I'm always like, yeah. oh, oh yeah. I'm there. Like, even in headshots, yeah. sometimes I'll look at myself and I'll be like, oh, God, look at that picture. Right. Yeah. <laughs> but the more I'm playing someone that's like not me, like I feel like the less judgy of it I get. But the second that it's like you're playing the sexy young woman in this, it's like I, I will never watch myself. Like I said, it's all, it's all your insecurities that, they, that come out and it's oh. really a mental game. But I yeah. think you, are, first of all, you are beautiful. So like this well, is where you. we all have to just be like, you know, I well, but this, this industry is so hard. Like, I, I don't know. I don't know. I think I did this because I just was getting so fed up with that. I was experiencing it, but also artists that I work with were as well. I, on social media, I posted my headshot, which is a, it's a lovely headshot um, with every horrible comment that a casting director or director had like ever said wow. to me, like in the audition room. And it's just like, can hey, we all just please stop? Do your face. Yeah. Said this mm-hmm. stuff? Wow. Yep. Yeah. And, and like hor- horrible things, but I'm, but it's, it's everybody. It's not just me. And so it's just yeah. like, can well, we it, just stop? Heard it. I mean, not, you know, it's the one thing that I, um, that, that to hear it said to your face. Yeah. Boy, it's yeah. not even a thick skin. I don't even think that that's it because unlike any other industry, you are the product. So you can't right. separate it. It's really hard. And then every time you look in the mirror, you go, well, this person who was this huge casting director for, you know, you, you respect these people yeah. and you believe like, well, they've cast this and that, so they must know. Yeah. And so then you look in the mirror and, and you pick yourself apart and there's so much that's going back yeah. to the mental aspect of this industry that I just, I so want to protect people from, but I know I yeah. can't. So you just yeah. have to armor people with, um, yeah as much as you can, a, yeah. a sense of self that is, that yeah. is good. And you, my dear, <laughs> who I adore, and I'm getting, I adore to, know, you too. I'm getting, I'm getting to know so much better. You are beautiful. You are, you, well, you're stunning you. to me. I, I literally see Snow White. So I just, Oh, thank you. To me, I can, you're, under- <laughs> well, you're I a freaking amazing. But I understand all the, all the things that you, yeah. The self-talk, the self-talk, because I was not, I was a gangly, crooked, crooked teeth wallflower. I was not somebody who was, you know, popular yeah. in high school and had all the boys after me. And, and I still, when I, 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 when I look at myself on camera and I'm trying to be sexy, you know, that's why I play a lot of comedies. <laughs> yeah. I really don't see myself that way. And it's an, it's a very interesting mental part of this business because you are yeah. typed a certain way. Mm-hmm. And when I get to play a character that is very not me, yeah, um, where I don't look like myself or anything, like, or I get to really, really uh, metamorphosize the outside of me. Yeah, I'm so looking yeah. forward to that because it yeah. really does uh, change you as an actor and a storyteller, and it, it gets you out of your own head. If that makes well, sense. the typing thing is so weird because my whole career, nobody's ever known what to do with me. Because I'm, I'm a, I'm, I'm a chameleon. I kind of like disappear into roles, but like they don't, they've never really known what to do with me. So, so, so like doing Hamlet became this calling card because I then became the girl who played Hamlet. Yeah. And well, you, um, you created. This is what you, you are so smart doing, and you know, being a writer, yeah. and and 
creating roles for yourself is just the smartest thing you could do in this industry. Well, but I love doing that with casting and writing as well. Like I'll find super interesting performers like you who, um, so a lot of people that I know have had the opposite problem as me where they've been very much in a box because of their physical type. And I'll be like, tell me the role that you've always wanted to play and nobody's ever cast you in it. And then I'll create something and like cast. Cause I don't know. I think your soul is crying out. Souls are crying out to play certain roles. And like you should, because it's going to work well and superficial appearance things. I think, you know, unless, unless it's, unless you're like playing Helen of Troy and you have to look a certain way for a very specific reason, I think there's way too much emphasis placed on it. By the way. Which, say that again? I auditioned for that movie, by the way. Of course you did. Yes. Oh, I got down to the end and I was like, what? Like, how is this happening? And I remember being like, I I never, um, who had, I don't know, remember the, she was a model. It was her thing. Yeah. Getting it. Brilliant actress. Like really, really really great actress. But I remember being like, how, like, how am I, I probably self-sabotaged it because I was like, how am I getting in this close? Helen of Troy. Like it, it's, it is such a, um, yeah, unless you're playing a, a role like that, like, yeah. but even in the most, the most beautiful people that I have had a chance to be around, work with, whatever, I, I guess you could say, there's usually the ones that are not completely, um, uh, oh, yeah. <laughs> yeah. are questioning, are, are really questioning that that's not really what they're all about. So yes, yeah, I think for sure. I'm going to tell you next time we talk, I'm going to tell you, I'm going to think about a role that I want to play. Yes. Please. No, please do. Well, I, sorry, I'm going to, I don't, I don't think that. No, is snow is, is fulfilling a lot of things for me. So good. No, I will totally write something for you, but I'm thinking about one of my, one of my, I don't think she'll mind me telling the story, but one of my dearest friends is Lauren Lopez, who a lot of people know from, um, Team Star Kid and the Very Potter musical and whatnot. Um, but we met because I was casting a piece of mine and I thought she was such an interesting actress. And I asked her if she wanted to come in and audition, thinking that there really wasn't anything for her, but I really found her interesting and wanted to work with her. And she came in and she'd like read the breakdown and the script and everything. And she's like, I want to play this role and here's why. And she gave me the most brilliant pitch. And I'm like, you know what? you're right. You should play that role. And I like rewrote the whole thing and the entire piece transformed because of her essence that she brought to this. And I'm a, I'm a really big fan of what's a role you've always wanted to play and no one will ever cast you as, cause that's exactly what you should be doing. And it's going to be far more interesting to, to write for and for people to see. And so. we, need, we need more of people like you in this world. Well, thank like, really. you. I really, I really believe that that is, that is something that, um, not a lot of artists get and you know not a lot of writers do so uh yeah those both is just that's just such a gift um so thank you so much for having me on your podcast of course thank you for being here we'll have to do another one sometime and in the meantime everybody come see snow just to see meredith be freaking amazing and terrifying and and do shakespeare and be scary come and see ashley kill it (laughs) incredible incredible in this show as well like i'm really able to star opposite you in a in a very strange medium but um yeah very brilliant play is really awesome and it's it's breathing life into me 
So oh, good. That. Good. And you're so sweet. After every rehearsal, you send me these lovely texts that just like make me feel so much better <laughs> about everything. So basically the essence of this podcast is everyone should work with Meredith and hire her because your life will be better in whatever capacity you work with her in. So so sweet. Thank you. Of course. Well, thank you for being a part of this and we'll have to do it again soon. Yes.